Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life, and I am uh, really grateful for you, grateful for this means podcasting and the internet and the world we currently live in. This means of being able to uh, study the scriptures together, to think about discipleship together. It is a massive blessing uh, that's easy to take for granted because of the times we live in. And yet uh, the reality is, is uh, like on my side of things, I am teaching more people the Bible now than I ever have before. True, I don't know most of you face to face. And yet, in the goodness and the grace of God, uh, he is using the Bible and Life podcast, he's using the listener's commentary in ways that are bearing good fruit for his namesake, for his kingdom cause, and for that, I am incredibly grateful. And that means I'm incredibly grateful for you and that we get to share this together and that we get to be a part of this together. So thanks a ton for being here. Uh, thanks a ton for being part of the Bible and Life family. On this episode, what I want to do is give a little bit of an update on ministry in general, some things I'm working on, just kind of ministry in general, uh, life in general, and then the Bible and Life podcast and what's coming next on the Bible and Life. And it really revolves around update on ministry and the question in the title of this episode, how does our discipleship to Jesus affect our political engagement? And so I want to talk about both those things on this, this episode of the Bible and Life. And the main reason for sharing some of these things with you is, one, to invite you to help with some of the, the things going on in the ministry and the Bible and Life, to invite you to help by praying for me and praying for this ministry. Most of all, praying that God's Spirit would be at work and He would use this to bear good fruit for His namesake. So I want to invite you to help uh, so that uh, this stuff could really honor Jesus and bear fruit for His name. And two, I want to begin to kind of introduce this topic of political engagement and discipleship, particularly because here in the United States of America, we're entering into another election season, and I think we can maybe do better than we've done before. So with that, by way of introduction, a little bit of an update on life and ministry in general. And the first is, over the next handful of months, uh, I have a number of speaking engagements that I'm involved in, whether it's churches locally here in town or in other places nearby, uh, uh, or I'm speaking at a men's retreat up north. I'm speaking at the Northwest Christian Convention in June, and I've got five talks I've got to do for that. Uh, so there is, there are just a number of speaking engagements. In fact, just between in the next four months, I have 16 different sermons I have to write and deliver in the next four months. That's a lot, particularly on top of trying to keep up with the commentary, the listener's commentary, and trying to keep up with the Bible and Life podcast and everything else. That's a lot. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, and so I just want to invite you to pray for that. Pray for strength. Pray that the Lord would uh, expedite the sermon writing process and direct that for his good purposes in all of those things. I'm super excited, particularly about uh, the men's retreat that I'm speaking at at North and the Northwest Christian Convention. Um, going to be good opportunities just to uh, pour into people and to help us think some things through. And so 
Would you join me in praying for those? Would you help me by praying for the Lord's guidance and direction and all that, as well as just strength and energy for a lot of speaking engagements? Uh, Two of those are out of town. Another out of town trip I'm doing where I don't have to write a message, but I do have to speak a couple of times and do some mentoring, but it's something that it's sort of a recurring ongoing thing. So I've got three out of town trips as well in the next few months. And so just a lot going on. So if you would pray for guidance and for strength and for the fruitfulness of those endeavors, that would be a real help uh, to me. In the midst of all of that, my wife and I are now beginning, we're at the very early stages of uh, laying the groundwork to move from our current home. We've lived in this house for 29 years, almost 29 years. This summer, it'll be 29 years since we signed papers on this house and moved in. We raised our kids in this house. Um, We've hosted tons of birthday parties and Christmas parties and family activities. Like our home has been the hub of family life for the extended family in so many ways over the last 28, 29 years. And so this home has tons of memories, not just for my wife and I, but for our kids. It has tons of memories for my mom and my sister and my brother and his family. Like this has been kind of Grand Central Station in a lot of ways. The problem is this house is not very big. And so we've lived here very frugally. We've we've done that for the sake of ministry. But with me now working at home almost exclusively, uh, I need a home office that's not right in the center of the living quarters. That's also uh, a place where the dogs hang out. We now have five grandkids. And when we get um, all five grandkids here, it is jam-packed in this place. There's just not space. And my wife and I have slowly come to this conclusion where it's like, okay, we really do need to think this through. If we're still going to be able to be the landing place for grandkids and uh, daughters and sons and all of that, we, we just need a little bit more space. And so it's a little bit bittersweet for us. And it's also a lot of work when you've lived in a place for a long time. It's a lot of work to, to think through, okay, how do we want to pack this up and how do we want to proceed? So all of that's now happening in the midst of this busy season of speaking engagements and everything else. So again, just invite you to pray about that for the Lord's guidance and direction on that. We feel very patient about that. Just so you know, since we've lived here so long, we don't feel like we're in a rush. Part of the challenges is the housing market in Boise, Idaho, where I live, has gone crazy. Um, Just to give you an idea, in the last four years, the cost of housing in the Boise area has more than doubled. The median price today is more than double what it was just four years ago. And that's challenging and that's hard. Um, And so thankfully we've lived in our house a long time. So we have a lot of equity to bring uh, to buying another house. And so we're just going to trust the Lord for that and be patient, find a house that really uh, has the kind of space needs we need for me to have a home office as well as grandkids and some of that sort of stuff. And so, again, invite you to pray about that, if you would, just for the direction and discernment from the Lord and the provision for the Lord from all of that. All right. Now, with that in mind, let's get to this topic of uh, how does our discipleship to Jesus affect our political engagement? The reason I want to bring that up is because also at this time, I'm working on a project with a friend of mine um, that really revolves around this topic. Um, of 
discipleship to Jesus and uh, politics and voting. And that's driven by, again, the current season here in the United States where we're about ready to enter into another election cycle. And so this friend of mine, he uh, has a PhD in philosophy. He's an expert in philosophy as well as ethics and some things related to history. I'm uh, more focused on theology and New Testament. And so we're co-laboring on this project. It'll eventually become um, some sort of smaller book on this topic. It's really a discipleship guide on this subject of uh, how does our discipleship to Jesus affect our political engagement. And so we're going to be working on that over the next couple months and trying to bang out the initial uh, uh, manuscript and teaching on some of this sort of thing. And because of that, I want to, on the Bible in life over the next few episodes, I want to kind of in real time just share some of the things I'm thinking through, some of the thoughts I'm having on the various topics and questions uh, that I'm going to be writing on and thinking through um, over the next handful of weeks. And so, uh, again, I would love for your input on that. And so even, you know, email me with questions or feedback or thoughts or things that were confusing or things that were helpful, because uh, that might make this project actually more useful to more people if I hear from some of you over the next handful of weeks. So I just want to share uh, some of that with you as I'm kind of thinking it out loud with you on the Bible in life. And the reality is when we ask the question, how does our discipleship affect our political engagement? Sometimes because we're living in a post-enlightenment world and we're living in the modern West, sometimes um, we've been so influenced by the kind of the the worldview of post-enlightenment modern Western thinking that our answer to the question is, well, it doesn't really. Like religion, it's kind of a personal private thing. Your Christianity is your personal private thing. Don't force that upon me. And that what happens in your own home, that's up to you. But increasingly what we have seen in places like the United States or um, European countries like England and uh, France or even um, uh, Australia that is similar in tone and spirit to some of those European countries, what we have seen is both from secular folks as well as even from uh, religious folks is there's more kind of uh, energy and more almost hostility behind the political question and the politics of the day. And the reason for that, in my opinion, seems to be that as um, secular governments, uh, in my country, president, right, the uh, Senate, the uh, legislature, as those sorts of things have become more influenced by secular uh, values and secular ways of thinking, uh, and it, values and even practices and uh, ideology and thoughts that are more at odds with um, biblical values and biblical virtues and biblical ways of viewing the world, that as we've gotten farther and farther apart in our worldview, now there's more energy and tension and it feels like the stakes are higher in our political choices. And as a result, even though maybe at one level we think, well, it's a personal private affair because that's what we've been taught by 
the post-enlightenment worldview of the that shaped America and shaped France and shaped some of these European countries, right? That, but at practice, we're like, wait a second, things could go awry really quickly. And so there's just diametrically opposed views on some of that. And it leads to greater tension, greater emotion, greater uh, sense of urgency in some of this. And as a result, uh, it seems like we who are followers of Jesus aren't always doing as well as we ought to be in how we engage uh, the culture we live in, politically speaking. So that's one hand where it's like, okay, on one hand, we, we, we're supposed to think and believe that it's this personal private affair according to you know, the Constitution of the United States, right? Separation of church and state and all these sorts of things. It's just your own personal private thing. Uh, and yet... It's not feeling that way because we don't like the direction maybe things are going or we're worried about where the outcome is going, right? And, and as long as, uh, you know, when, when, when the virtues and values of America in general overlapped in significant ways with the values and virtues of the Bible and some of that, there was a time period when that was the case. And when that was the case, you know, it was like, okay, we still had things we cared about. There were still things that were really important, but it was, there was less emotion. There was less urgency. There was places where that was, but now it feels like we're so much further apart. It's, uh, the, the heat has risen and it feels a little bit more urgent and tense, right? Um, on the other extreme, um, you have people who their way of dealing with that is to basically say, forget separation of church and state. Uh, let's, uh, you know, foist upon our country the the laws of the Bible itself, and you have you know full on people who are like we we need to just govern exclusively by you know the the laws of the Bible, and I think that's problematic, particularly when which laws are we going to take because there's laws in the Old T Testament where it's like well those were laws for the nation of Israel at a particular time in Israel's history, we're not the nation of Israel. So are you going to apply those laws in uh, modern America or wherever else exactly as they show up in the Bible? And so there's this tension between, all right, how does the Bible influence um, our political engagement? How should it influence our political engagement? How does our discipleship to Jesus play out with that? And the fact is, is that from the beginning, like from the beginning of the church, from the beginning of people following Jesus, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord was actually a political statement. In fact, the, the modern idea of separation of church and state, that's a modern idea. Most of the world throughout most of history didn't think that way. And so when Christians went about throughout uh, the Roman Empire in the days of the apostles, to go to such and such city and proclaim Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord, to proclaim that, that had very political overtones and very political implications. And that's what got uh, the apostles oftentimes into trouble. Let me just offer one passage as sort of an example of that. Um, Acts 17, the apostle Paul is in the city of Thessalonica. And let me just read down through the text and so you can see how political of a statement pre preaching Jesus is Lord 
is and always will be. It reads like this. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which was in northern Greece, uh, in Macedonia. That's where Thessalonica is, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he visited them, and for three Sabbaths, three different Saturdays, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. The reason Paul had to do that was because that was a massive stumbling block for the Jews. The, the Messiah was going to suffer and die, and then that didn't make sense, and then rise from the dead. So he was using the, the scriptures to point out that that was actually what was going to happen so that he could show them this fact, saying... The Jesus who I am proclaiming to you, he is the Messiah. He's the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a significant number of the leading women. So you have some God-fearing Greeks from the synagogue, and you have some influential leading women uh, married to uh, some of the key leaders in the city. Now, the Jews became jealous. And so they took some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason and were seeking to bring them, that is Paul and his team, out to the people. The reason for that is Jason uh, apparently was Paul's host in the city. So they come to Jason's house. They're looking for Paul and Silas and his team, and they can't find them. And so then they drag Jason before the city authorities. And here's what they say. These men who have upset the whole world, they've come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. He's their host. And they all act, catch this, contrary to the decrees of Caesar, the emperor, the one in charge of the Roman Empire. They act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, listen, there is another king, Jesus. Preaching Jesus as the Christ means Jesus is king. If Jesus is king, then that somehow challenges Caesar's uh, emperorship, his kingship. And so it's viewed as treasonous, and it's a massive political statement. And so what we have to come to terms with is that the message that Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, that's a political statement uh, that has... It really massive political implications, not just then, in our world today. When Jesus himself uh, began his ministry, the Gospels tell us that they summarize his message as the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now breaking in and coming near in and through the person of Jesus. Well, if God's kingdom is coming into the world, what does that say about the kingdoms of this world? And thus, there are political ramifications and political implications for the simple message that Jesus is king. And so the idea that it's a personal, private thing that we just keep behind closed doors in our house, that's just, that's just not in keeping with the, the truth of the scriptures and the message of the scriptures about Jesus being king. But then that raises the question, well, how do we then, as followers of King Jesus, engage in the politics of the country we live in? And if I can be, like, brutally honest, in my opinion, I don't think we who are followers of Jesus in the United States of America did very well in our last election cycle. 
If I had to give us a grade, right? At best, we got a D, I would say. Uh, there was, um, we were so driven by our emotions rather than by the values and the virtues of the kingdom of God and the values and the virtue of our king, Jesus himself. And so if our emotions kind of leaned one way, then that's what showed up in our social media posts. That's what showed up in our you know, conversations in our home or with the people in our small group. If our emotions and our feelings tended to lean another way, well, then that's what showed up in our social media posts and in our conversations. Um, People were shamed. There was infighting between churches and Christians. I know of churches that split during the last election cycle because of people leaning one way or the other. Uh, there was all sorts of nasty memes and all sorts of accusations, and we were spiteful. And it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't good, and I don't think it honored Jesus. And, and that doesn't mean that there aren't real stakes at play and that there aren't real values and virtues that should govern how we engage because we're going to have to engage. In fact, the reality is, is bad politics are really bad for human well-being and human flourishing. We've seen that over the course of history, right? Whatever country or wherever it's at, uh, political leaders, corrupt dictators, bad politics of all kinds are really bad for human well-being. And Jesus and his kingdom has a different vision for what human living looks like and what human beings exist for and what, human, what constitutes human flourishing. And so our commitment to Jesus should shape us. And yes, as culture has increasingly, uh, particularly culture in the United States of America, has increasingly moved away from... Um, anything resembling the kingdom of God, the stakes seem to be higher and our emotions will get involved somehow. We're going to have to learn some wisdom and some humility and some courage and some resolve uh, to engage with the politics of the region we live in in a way that's driven by the kingship of Jesus and his values, and his virtues, and we're going to have to do it in the spirit that Jesus himself would do it if he were living in our place. And that's a huge challenge to our discipleship. And so um, this friend and I, we're, we're working on this project together. He's the one that initiated it. He reached out to me and asked, hey, I would like to put something together, but I would like you to co-author with me. And so here we are. It's not something I've ever really taught on or written on, but that doesn't mean I don't have some thoughts on it, particularly uh, thoughts related to what does the New Testament itself teach about some of this sort of stuff. And so that's going to be my contribution to this project and this book is let's look at some of the things the New Testament teaches about who we are as the people of God and what that means for the what should be important to us. And then how do we handle that in a culture and a country where maybe those values and those virtues are looked down on or distrusted or seen as odd or weird. And somehow... Um, we're going to have to figure out how to honor Jesus in the midst of that. And so over the next few weeks here on The Bible in Life, I just want to share with you 
out loud some of the things I'm thinking about, some of the passages I'm reflecting on, and I would love to hear your uh, reactions and your feedback to some of that as well. So um, that's where we're going for the next few weeks on the podcast. And again, I pray that it would be very helpful to you and to me as disciples of Jesus to honor Jesus in the places we live where we're, we're living as part of this world and we have some responsibilities to be salt and light in this world, but we need to do so in a way that actually is good for the world. Um, and so uh, join me in just thinking this through together. And I would love to hear your thoughts and your feedback as I reflect on it with you over the next handful of weeks. All right. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. As always, uh, thank you for your support and your generosity. It's what makes this ministry possible. So God bless you for it. And may he continue to bear fruit in your life and through your life, as well as in this ministry and through this ministry. God bless you. I look forward to talking with you again next week.